The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone. This is Mary Woods and I'm your host today. And we have a great show in line for for all of you. We're going to be talking today about how children recover from um, being involved in the addiction in their family, and I'm very pleased to introduce to all of you Jerry Moe, who I'm sure most of you know. He is the Vice President National Director of the Children's Programs at Betty Ford Center, and um, they have locations in Rancho Mirage, California, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, and Denver, Colorado. Jerry is also an advisory board member of the National Association for Children of Alcoholics. As you know, he's internationally known as an author, lecturer, and trainer on issues for young children from addicted families. Jerry received the 2005 America Honors Recovery Award from the Johnson Institute, the 2000 Ackerman Black Award from the uh, National Association of Children of Alcoholics for significantly improving the lives of children of alcoholics in the United States and around the world. Jerry's latest book is Understanding Addiction and Recovery Through a Child's Eyes. Hope, help, and healing for families. Jerry, thank you so much for agreeing to be part of our show today. No, thanks for having me on, Mary. It's great to be here. You know, I think the first thing I learned when I when I started working in the addiction profession was that addiction is a family disease, and I think that's something that got drilled into me from early on. And it's interesting because most treatment programs don't really provide treatment for families. It's true. I mean, when we look at just children's program, there was a time area about 25 years ago when there were over 500 programs across the United States that specifically focused on helping young boys and girls living in families where there was alcoholism or other drug addiction begin the recovery process. And and through time, uh, those have eroded. So there are very few programs today. Why did that happen? I think a couple of things come to mind. One is that children's programs, even operating at their best, most efficiently, never produce enough revenue. We we hope to break even. At the Betty Ford Center Children's Program, no child is ever turned away due to an inability to pay. So I think when times get tough in the treatment industry, sometimes we let go of those parts of programs that aren't revenue producing. That's certainly a big part of it. And and it's so unfortunate because, um, you know, one of the things that we always hear, you can break the cycle, you know, whether it's domestic violence, addiction, um, depression, eating disorders, that that it's possible to break the cycle for the next generation. So important. And for all of your listeners today, if you are a mom or a dad and you're in recovery, I salute you. I think the greatest gift we can ever give our children um, is the gift we give ourselves, getting clean and sober as a family member, beginning your own recovery from, as you say, the family disease of alcoholism or other drug addiction. It opens up the door to so many rich possibilities. And 
The second best gift is taking your child to a program so they can learn about this in an age-appropriate way, and they can learn about recovery and be a part of it. You know, I, I've shared this with my listeners on a few occasions, but I grew up in a very Irish Catholic um, family, and and people in my family either drank too much or they didn't drink at all. So I never, I never knew what social drinking was, and until I started working in this profession, I never really understood um, how I was often told when I was little the things I saw, and I would talk about it. I'd be told, "Well, that's really not what you're seeing," you know. So I learned not to trust myself in terms of when I saw something that looked very real to me, people in my family would say, but that's not, that's not real, that's not happening. And I think that happens in a lot of families where there's um, alcoholism or other types of addiction. It's a huge issue, and, and often what people say is, well, my child hasn't been affected by this, or they never saw me drinking, I only drank when I was on business trips, or I only use drugs when they go to sleep at night. And, and children, while they might not necessarily pinpoint it that it's alcoholism or drug addiction, they know something's wrong because the people they love the most in the world, um, they can see it, they can feel it. And when children don't get validated, you know, as your experience growing up, we do learn to not trust. And the difficulty with that is children learn to not only not trust adults, but, but also learn not to trust themselves, not to trust their, their tummy to guide them when things get crazy or not to trust their perceptions and, you know, and to become isolative and button up and, and keep all of that inside, which are truly part and parcel of this family disease. How, how early can you start really... Um intervening in a child's life to help them cope with the addiction in their family? Early on in my career, I worked at a community-based hospital, a 28-bed treatment program called Sequoia Hospital in Redwood City, California. And I actually would do a group there once a week for four-, five-, and six-year-olds. Now, what we would do is the group would only be 30 minutes in length, and we did about two 12-minute segments and got out of the room and, and, and took a walk and got some water. But you can begin to help children heal. They have stories to tell. Um, they're looking for caring, nurturing adults in their life that they can trust and to learn that it's not their fault. And this is okay to talk about. And whether they use words or through puppets or through artwork, uh, it's really effective. Well, and I think the message that a lot of kids get is that this is the family secret, that you cannot talk about it. Right, and we're always trying to get um, the parents and the grandparents who bring um, boys and girls to the children's program that uh, there's still a lot of stigma attached to this disease. So even upon going through a program like this, helping boys and girls and, and the adults in their life find safe people that they can talk to about this, so important. Do you see any difference in, in the the children that you're treating now than the children when you first started your career? is Because now this is the third, fourth, fifth generation of folks with um, addiction in their family. Yes, I mean, I do see differences. Uh, when I started, there were, there were so many people going to treatment. And, and please know that in two of the three treatment centers that I've worked in, the last 34 years, these children's programs are open to all kids. So, for instance, now at the Betty Ford Center, you don't have to have 
a parent in treatment in order to come here. Children can be our primary clients. But I think back in the late 1970s, we saw many more people who were just alcoholic, and alcohol was their drug of choice, and they didn't dabble in illicit drugs or prescription drugs. That was basically it. And today, I mean, the, the difference being that uh, I see much more complex cases where it's poly drug addiction, where there has, is domestic violence, there are co-occurring disorders, there um, the threat of abuse. Uh, just see, it just seems like um, things have become more complicated as the years have gone by. More issues for people to sort out in, in yeah. getting well. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it, it has become a lot more complicated, and I think that kids grow up faster now than they did thirty years ago. They're exposed it, to so much more just in regular daily life. Uh, and if there's anything that we try to do here at the Petty Ford Center Children's Program is slow that process down and that children are growing up way too fast. They're making choices that are beyond their physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional development. Well, and they're not, I mean, kids aren't allowed to just play. You know, they're, they're, most kids, their life is so regimented. You know, they have they have lessons and after-school stuff and sports, and, and it's like, Nobody has time to just be. Well, it's interesting, Mary, as you related to your own family history and growing up in an Irish Catholic family that people either drank alcoholically or they didn't drink at all. You see extremes. And I think we see this sometimes with children today in that you know we have so many children growing up who um, are overly scheduled and they just don't get time to be kids, to laugh and to play and explore and and sometimes parents want to program their kids into so many activities. And just when do you get to be a kid? There was one time in our Colorado Children's Program, an 11-year-old wrote me a note and said, would you please sit down with my mom and explain to her that I just need a day or two during the week where I can just come home and, and, and just hang out and not have two or three more things to take care of. And so sometimes we'll see overly programmed and then on the other end of the spectrum, we'll, we'll see where, where children uh, sometimes have no supervision, um, very little protection, and, and incredibly unstructured. And, and to me, recovery, that elusive recovery, that balance we try to, to always um, find in our lives is somewhere in the middle. Um, as you mentioned, you've been doing this for 34 years. Do you have any contact with, with children that you worked with early on, and, and how did they fare over the years? Contact all the time. Yeah, I was doing a training last week uh, in, in London, Mary, and we were laughing in that 34 years ago, there was only one way people could contact me at work, and that was by telephone. <laughs> and now you can tweet and text and email and fax, and there's so many different ways. So uh, not very difficult to track me down. There is a documentary called Lost Childhood. It's um, It's been playing on public broadcasting stations across the United States, and and Mary, basically what that program did is it came to a summer camp that, that I created while I worked at Sequoia Hospital, that first treatment center, that we would take boys and girls between the ages of 7 and 12 away for camp for six days and five nights. Incredibly healing process because we knew all of those boys and girls already. They were already part of our program, but just um, a, a way to, to just take it a, a level or two deeper. And, and the program did incredibly well in, in 1986. And then about 2003, the original reporter on the story said, I'm going to track down some of these boys and girls who are now grown-ups. 
and those same boys and girls now, uh, you know, are in their early 30s, and it's a great half-hour program that specifically focused on a couple of um, the children as they grew up and looking back now and seeing what kind of an impact that program had on their lives. Um, what I can report is that the majority of the boys and girls that we served um, are living happy, healthy, productive lives. Many of them never have fallen into the trap of alcoholism or drug addiction. And of those many, um, there are many of those many who still have never had a drink or a drug because they knew this runs in families. And while I'm proud of that, Mary, I'm equally proud of the fact of the number of boys and girls who had gone through one of the programs that I was involved in. And what happened was they did become addicted, and, and they realized it. And so it's not unusual for me to get a, a call or an email from someone saying, hey, I'm in treatment right now. Addiction trapped me, and now I'm getting help with the same kind of language that we taught them in the program. But the good news is they're getting well when they're 18 and 19 and 20 and 22 so that when they're having families, they're in recovery. And that's a good news. That's wonderful news. And we'll be right back to talk with Jerry after this commercial. If you have any questions or comments for Jerry, please feel free to call us. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. There are a number of health and social services available to individuals for low cost or no cost. Now there's a radio program devoted to bringing you the information you need. Tune in to Outreach Today with host Melissa Jenkins-Simon. Our program promotes the benefits and services of CI Incorporated, providing health and social services over a wide spectrum of resources and agencies. We want to help you. Tune in to Outreach Today, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. 
And welcome back to One Hour of Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Jerry Moe, who is Vice President and National Director of the Children's Programs at the Betty Ford Center in Rancho Mirage, California. And we're talking about how children recover from addiction in their family. And for for people who are listening who may not understand what we mean when we say um, addiction is a family disease, can you explain that, Jerry? Mary, I'd love to. And maybe the best way to explain that is to describe a drawing that a 10-year-old girl once did in our children's program here at the Betty Ford Center. The assignment in group was to draw a picture of your family, just one sentence. That was it. And so when she was finished, she brought her picture up. And what she'd done on the middle of the page, she drew an alcohol bottle that took up the whole page. And the bottle had spaghetti string arms and legs. And at the stem of the bottle was a monster face, a hideous face. The bottle was moving across the page. And behind the bottle, she drew her dad, who Lori, the 10-year-old, loves more than anyone in the world. (laughs) And he was crouched behind the bottle with one hand just about to grab it, just about to grab it around its stem. And his hair was all over the place, and he kind of had a wild look in his eye. And he was just about to grab it. And behind the bottle... And Dad, Lori drew her mom, and and Lori's mom was right behind Dad and had both of her hands reached out as if to grab him by the back of his collar before he could get the bottle of alcohol. And her eyes were real big. She looked scared. She looked worried. She was crying. And holding on to the mom's legs were Lori and her five-year-old brother. And, And to me, that best illustrates how alcoholism is a family disease. Everybody gets affected by this. Um, It's characterized often by silence and secrecy, Um, the secret everyone knows, but no one is able to talk about it. And everybody is affected by it. Everybody is worried about it, hurt by it, um, consumed by it, and really confused by it as well. Um, And do do we still kind of conceptualize that children take on different roles in the family? When, when there's um, addiction or alcoholism? Sure. I mean, children take on all different kind of patterns of behavior or roles, as you say, as a means of trying to pro- provide some balance in their lives. But usually those roles revolve around the disease the, and revolve around the alcoholic or the addict. And, uh, and are an attempt by the child on one level to try to make all of this stop. And so you go back to, all the way back to the 1980s, Marion, you remember, I'm sure, some of the classic roles that Sharon Wegsharter Cruz and, and Claudia Black talked about, whether the, some children respond by trying to be perfect, the family hero, and, and, and to show that, look, look how okay I am despite all that's going on in my family. Some children act out and become scapegoats. Some are lost. Some just get invisible as a result of all the stress and, and sometimes get attention by by being sick a lot. Others joke and clown and, and, and try to make light of all the painful um, feelings and issues going on in a family. Others try to people please. So we see all different kind of roles, roles that often work at home amidst the chaos and the unpredictability of addiction, and yet the same roles that don't necessarily work at school or in the community where the disease isn't as predominant in their lives. 
And these are often roles people carry into adulthood. And I remember a long time ago, um, Dr. Jill Persh did um, a video that, remember, used to show in family programs at Sequoia Hospital called uh, Romance of Recovery. And, and in it, he says something really important. He says, we either repeat or we recover. It's that simple, whether we're a child growing up in addiction, an adolescent who has addiction, or maybe I'm a grown-up and it's my spouse that has addiction. We get stuck um, in a certain way. Our family is organized around the addiction, and either we continue to be involved in that behavior or we begin to recover. And so for, for a young child um, who's gone through like one of your programs, what does recovery look like for them? Interesting recovery. When you ask children to draw, you know, often we ask children to draw their family or to draw about how addiction has hurt their family, but equally important, we ask children to draw about recovery. What does recovery look like for you? And, and Mary, you'll see a, a whole, oh boy, you'll see a whole variety of pictures. Some pictures show um, their loved ones still drinking and using, whether it's a parent or an older brother or sister, and they're off to the side by themselves with a bubble caption, i got to remember, this is not my fault. I can't make this okay. Um, some of the pictures so, show children sitting with someone they trust, talking about feeling confused or feeling angry or feeling upset. We do an activity in a children's program where um, boys and girls have to carry a 41-pound bag of rocks, and the rocks are uh, rocks in the bag that are all painted with either a feeling on it like sad or lonely or confused, or one says secrets, the secrets we carry that you made reference to, Mary, in, 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 the, in the prior segment. Um, but there's also rocks in the bag that say addiction or fighting or, or, or conflict. And so some of the pictures show children um, letting that stuff out. Um, we'll have other children draw pictures of um, a parent passed out, and yet they're on the phone calling, Grandpa, could you please come over? I need your help. So we'll see those kind of pictures um, depicting recovery for kids. But when whole families recover, Mary, when it's not just the child going through a program, but maybe mom is sober or dad is clean, and everybody's working their own recovery program, the kind of pictures we see are families hanging out together, doing fun things together, being uh, reunified, um, um, feeling safe, and pictures that are bright and colorful and, and, and hopeful. Uh, that's a whole spectrum of, of how children see recovery. Recovery not only for themselves, even if the person they love is still actively drinking or using drugs, but also family recovery and that we can all come together and it's safe and we can enjoy each other's company and have fun with one another. Um, and which is really a gift and a miracle. I mean, it's, it's, it's so, uh, to me, it's always so amazing when I see those families reunited. I mean, it just is, it, it's just to me, it's what the miracle of treatment's all about. It, it, Mary, it, it, it always gives me chills. We do uh, a continuing care night for children. It's every Wednesday night. For the last 14 years, we have never taken a Wednesday night off. It's from 5.30 to 6.30, and it's for boys and girls who've been through our four-day program and, and who live close enough to get here. And so 
There's a group for 7 to 9-year-olds. There's a group for 10 to 12-year-olds. There's a group for our, our children who went through the program, but they're now teenagers, so we have an Alateen group. And then there's a 12-step group for all of the parents because, you know, remember, one of the issues with children is we need to get in there. Transportation can be an issue. So, you know, the whole family comes. There's a meeting for everybody. And, and while that's really cool, what happens afterwards, Mary, is even more exciting because we're having families then go out to dinner with each other. Or we're having families, one recovering family hanging out with another recovering family. And and once a month, all the recovering families, they go from home to home where they have a, a potluck and, and a fun night and all the kids and all the families and everybody working on getting well. And we just need more and more opportunities like that. You know, I, I'm sure you know this too, but... The, the vast majority of people who come into treatment are often children uh, who come from our adults who are who were as children were lived in alcoholic or drug addicted homes and um, you know it, it just seems to me to be so penny wise and pound foolish not to treat children early on because you know um, we we invest so much money we still need to invest more money in treatment. But, you know, after the genie's out of the bottle, that's when we start to really pay attention to it. Yeah, your point is so well taken, Mary. I do a lecture called Changing the Family Legacy. And so just last past Friday, I'm lecturing the patients at the Betty Ford Center, and I ask them one question. And, and the week before, I was actually in Dublin, Ireland at another treatment center, and I asked the same question. Wherever I go into a treatment center and get to talk to people in treatment or in early recovery, the one question I ask is, how many of you grew up in a family with either parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, or cousins who have this disease? And Mary, 80% of the hands is not a conservative estimate. Wherever, you know, wherever I go, that's the number. And, and what we're seeing is just the next generation. If we don't provide enough assistance and resources, it just gets passed along. And in and, and every place that I've worked, Mary, you know, today, and, and all of your listeners and the, that, that, that also work in this field, that, that every minute of the day, someone's in treatment somewhere, inpatient, outpatient, sober living, uh, doesn't matter. And they wake up, they come to, and all of a sudden they realize, oh, my goodness, this disease I never asked for. Look what it's done. Look at the damage it's 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 done not only to me, but look at the havoc that it's wreaked on everybody that I care about. What a painful place to go to. But but your point is that for most of these people, you take it a layer lower because then they start to remember what happened to them when they were kids. And oh boy, the the, the work that needs to be done and. Um, and, and the resources that we need to see that we can prevent this disease. We can see that people get help at younger and younger ages earlier on in the disease, which always points to greater likelihood for recovery. You know, uh, back in the day in the early 80s, I worked at a 28-day treatment program, and we used to share this, we used to show this movie called If You Love Me, and it was about this alcoholic a uh, man who had alcoholism and his wife, and they had three kids. And it really ta- it really showed this man in the throes of his his addiction. And then his, his wife, in, in attempts to control his drinking, started going out with him and drinking with him as well. And then it showed her kind of succumbing to her own addiction. And, and then it ended up with the oldest son taking his two smaller 
his two younger siblings across town on a bus to his aunt's house because of the rage and the and kind of the violence in the family. And when we first got this, we thought, well, this will really kind of um, stimulate people to think about what their own substance use is doing to their family. And it was the exact opposite. Everybody sat there and said, that's the family I grew up in. And it just blew us away that here we thought we were going to be doing some consciousness raising around their own behavior, and everybody identified with the kids. Never, uh, however many times we showed that movie to however many groups, they always identified with the kids, not the parents. Always. When 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 we come back, I want to share with you uh, when we show the lost childhood documentary that I made reference to. Who writes me the most letters about it? You might be really surprised. And we'll be right back after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is Mary and our guest today is Jerry Moe, who is Vice President and National Director of Children's Programs at the Betty Ford Center in Rancho Mirage, California. And before we went to break, um, Jerry was talking with us about um, the documentary Lost Childhood and who you got the most um, letters from, from people who had seen the movie. Well, what's amazing, and again, I'm a children's counselor, Mary, most of the time. I spend with with children. I mean, I'm, I'm right where I belong. But <laughs> yeah, truly, truly, a simple mind with kids. It's a it's a perfect combination. But what really has just rocked my boat and so deeply touched me is this: that in the last five six years, is, is that the documentary has gained in popularity and, and people have a way to purchase it at a reasonable price. I get more letters from men and women in jail and in prison who have seen that 
documentary, and they're not necessarily initially thinking about their children as much as they're thinking about themselves when they were little boys and little girls, and that wounded part of them that truly needs to be healed if they're going to get free from addiction. You know, I think um, the older I get, the more kind of wisdom I think I've been able to garner along the way. And one of the things that um, I've begun to realize, and, and we talk about this with some of our families, is what do you want your legacy to be? Because, you know, oftentimes we think, well, our legacy is going to be what we acquire. And people, I don't think, really understand that their true legacy is their family. And, and what they leave behind in terms of their family. You know, you've talked about this being multi-generational. And, and if people don't break the cycle, it doesn't matter how much wealth you accumulate, how many cars, boats, houses you have. If, if the addiction in the family hasn't been healed, then your legacy is, 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 you know, it's a wreck. You know, you're, you know, there's so much destruction that happens. Um, and it gets passed on from one generation to the next. Uh, it, it so does. And, and if you'll allow me to just respond to that in a personal kind of way. I mean, I grew up, like you, Mary, in a family where there's alcoholism and, and drug addiction. And, and what I want to say about the generation, um, my parents' generation, is it's the generation in my family that showed us how to get better, that, that recovery is possible. And, and my dad, who passed away a couple of years ago, um, about a month and a half before he passed away, I got to hand him his 38-year chip um, in his 12-step program. And to recover from, from alcoholism is by far um, the greatest gift that my dad and my mom, who was also in recovery, gave me because it changed the legacy in our family. I mean, my three kids never saw anything but grandparents who were clean and sober and doing the best they could one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time. So you, you hit on something incredibly profound is what am I doing today to change the legacy in my family? What am I doing today to reach out to my kids and my grandkids and all the kids and grandkids in my neighborhood? I don't think there's enough out there about that. I, I don't think, I think we need to just do a push pause moment for everyone and say, stop. What is your legacy going to be? You know, it's, it, you know, we're so focused on the material stuff that, you know, families just seem to be getting less and less support every year. We just seem to see more and more stress on families between the economy, health care, and, um, you know, it's, it's kind of scary. It's very scary. I, w I was um, interviewed for for a different piece over in, in Ireland. It was actually a radio show. And what I told the host, Mary, and this is true, in the, in the last 18 months, something has really shifted in that when we see boys and girls, and we see about 1,500 kids and their families on a yearly basis, so we get a good, pretty good cross-section of people from all different walks of life because, again, no child gets turned away. But nowhere in my career as a children's therapist have I seen this, and that the first day of our program, when, when we begin to develop a relationship with the children and they begin to feel safe, I like to ask them one question, and it's really open-ended, and it's, if you could have one wish today, but it has to be something that's going to make things better for your family, what would you wish for? 
I have more boys and girls today who are wishing not for a million dollars, not for a mansion, but more boys and girls who are wishing that their their dad could get a job soon or there's enough food in the refrigerator or that we can stay in the house that we are in right now because we might lose that house. So I see more boys and girls who are also getting caught up in the worry and the anxiety of the economic distress that all of us are experiencing. And it's hard because these are little kids who need to be given the message, yeah, things are tough, but we're going to do the best we can and we're going to take care of you. And yet there they are with the stress and the worry. And they're just children. You know, my parents grew up in the Depression era, as I'm sure your parents did Mine did, too, of course. And, you know, whatever they had to sacrifice for that, they, I mean, they talked about it, being in the Depression, they talked about what they had to do, but they didn't seem to be traumatized. It was a family, the family was doing it together. You know, the the multi-generations that were alive in the Depression were doing it together. And, And, you know, as bad as it was, they didn't feel like they were alone, and people pitched in to help each other, and and that's just not happening today. Well, your your point is well taken, and, and think about it, and frame it in in the context of alcoholism and, and other drug addiction that tear families apart, that isolate everyone, and and, and people aren't really talking to each other. An eleven year old girl last year said. Um, Jerry, I can say it better than you can, that in my family we talk from our heads, but we never talk from our hearts. So we never really share our feelings or, or, the, or the depth of our caring in this family because we're always waiting for the, for the other shoe to drop. So you take the economic challenges that we're facing today, but you add alcoholism and drug addiction that you know it, it isolates us even further and in, in many ways we feel all alone and and for boys and girls many of them are so incredibly afraid that someone's going to find out that their older brother or sister's been in treatment or that mom has drug addiction or or or, or dad's hooked to pain medication and their fear is that if other people find this out then they're going to know what terrible little kids they are and and again, they just the children don't realize. Well, it's not about you. You didn't ask for any of this. This is just something that's probably been going on for your in your family for a very long time. But if no one talks about it, kids just tell make up a story. And, and often that story is, it must be me. I must be doing something wrong. You know, um, my uh, my daughter who is now twenty six. When she was, I think, sixteen. Um, I went on a site visit to uh, Fountain House in New York City, and we went down there to see the dual diagnosis program. It was during her spring break. So the woman who was giving us the tour invited us to this open AA meeting. So I took my daughter, um, and, I mean, by this time I'd been working in this profession for a long time, so she knew what I did and all that kind of stuff. So we went to the um, meeting, and afterward I asked her what she thought, and she thought that um, she thought it was pretty cool that people could talk about that, uh, what they did, but also she liked hearing their new story, you know, what they were doing now that was different. And um, we're at Westbridge, we're opening up a facility in Florida, and we were down hiring for staff. And one of her friends was applying for a job, and it was suggested that 
that he'd go to an AA meeting. So he asked me if if, uh, if I would go with him because he'd never been before. And I said, sure. And she said, well, I'm going to go too because it's been a long time since I've been to one. And I, and I said, okay. So we went to this open AA meeting. And at the end of it, she said to me, you know, Mom, you don't have to have um, alcohol or drug addiction to get something out of these meetings. Anybody could get something out of these meetings. And I think that, you know, for people who, who are in recovery, they're so blessed to have that kind of, um, fellowship and, and spiritual connection that most other people are, you know, they're living their lives with that kind of hole in their soul and they don't understand how to fix it. Yeah, so true. And what people sometimes who haven't been to 12-step meetings don't realize it's not a program just about not drinking or not drugging. It's really a program of living. Right. I have been going to 12-step meetings since I was 14 years old. So I've spent the majority of my life attending a whole variety of 12-step meetings. And you know, it's an interesting point, Mary, that for years I've gone to, to meetings and I've heard people on many occasions say this is a selfish program. But, but recently at a meeting someone said this and it was one of those aha moments for me. And they said, yeah, this is a selfish program because we go there to find ourself, our real self. You know, we go to a place where there has been that initial wound, that hole in the soul, but we go there to get back ourselves, our true selves, our authentic selves, and to live life the best way we can, one day at a time. And, and it's in recovery that we can change family legacies, but families come together. That's the exciting part. That's the good news. And I think that, um, you know, in working with children and, and knowing that, that they can um, make changes in their life, they must feel so empowered after they've been, you know, with you in your, in your program. They feel incredibly empowered, and, and not just the boys and girls who were blessed to have other family members in recovery. Uh, you know, sometimes it's even those boys and girls who have to go back into a family where one of their parents or their older brother or sister continues to drink or use, and, and while they have to live in that environment, they go back knowing that this is not about them, that they didn't cause this and they can't make it okay, and that they're not alone and that there are safe people and places they can talk to. They can call us here at the center. They can email us, and, and we're going to be there for them. So even those boys and girls that go back with it in, into environments where that disease is still um, creating havoc on a daily basis, those boys and girls go back with some new skills and some new tools. And, and where are we if we don't have hope in our life? We all need hope every single day. We do, and and you know, for for kids who can go to Alateen, they can get their hope battery recharged there. Where do kids who are too young to go to Alateen? How do they sustain those coping skills? Well, when the boys and girls who who go through, let me give you a couple of different resources. When the boys and girls go through um, the children's program, we will send them a newsletter every ninety days. We've created um, uh, a character named Beamer and. And both of Beamer's parents have addiction, and dad goes to jail, and mom goes to treatment, and there's 12 books. So somehow we thought the number 12 was significant. Maybe I really can't remember why that is, but there are 12 books. And so we send those one time a month. But there is a resource, and, and I'd love to give it to uh, to everyone there because it's a great resource for children. 
if they go to www.nacoa.org. It's www.nacoa.org. And if they go to that website, there's a whole section for kids, and there's actually even a, a children's program kit that they can download for free. So there are places where kids can go to get help, even if they haven't the benefit to either be old enough to go to Alateen or to find a, a children's program in their local community. And we'll be right back after this commercial break with Jerry. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, our guest today is Jerry Moe, who is Vice President and National Director of Children's Programs at the Betty Ford Center in Rancho Mirage, California, and we're talking about um, how children recover from addiction when it's in their family, and were there any other resources you wanted to mention, because we kind of got crunched into the commercial before we broke. Well, it, it might be a good idea to repeat that last one one more time. It's www.na. COA.org, great resource for children and also for parents. There is a, a parent's toolkit there for when your child um, is dealing with the alcoholism or drug addiction in a family. And the other one, Mary, you made reference to, and even if there's children younger than 12, Alateen is a great resource. And if you were to go to the Alateen website, just Google Alateen and part of Al-Anon family groups, wonderful literature, including a book called What's Drunk Mama, which has been a classic for years for younger children. So those would be the two that stand out immediately. Um, at Westbridge, we treat folks 18 and over, but um, a big component of what we do is, is behavioral family therapy, which we call family education and support. And it's skill building for families because... You know, um, when there's addiction in the family, roles change and, and people stop being brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And, and we have the best outcomes when the family is involved. And, um, and that's something I learned when I first got in, in this profession, too, that um, when the family's in treatment, there's better outcomes. But once again, I just want to say to the world, you know, um, let's invest in family treatment because it certainly is worth the price of um, of the of the program because you, the re, you reap such great returns. 
your point again is, is is right on the mark, Mary. Um, in the in the children's program that I'm doing here at the Betty Ford Center, it's four days and it's all day long. So it's about 25 hours over the course of the four days. And it was Mrs. Ford herself who said, if if we're going to make a difference in a child's life, just don't help the child, but help who's ever raising that child, whether it's a parent, a foster parent, a grandparent, have them be involved too. And on the third day of the program, Mary, what happens is children get to talk to um, their parent or their grandparent about this is what it's been like for me with addiction in our family and you know for me personally anyway no one holds my heartstrings more than my children do so can you imagine um, being in recovery um, 25 days let's say and there's your eight-year-old sitting across from you saying I love you mom I'm so proud of you but this is what it was like when addiction had you trapped and this is how you'd act and this is how scared I got and I don't want to lose you and and so it, it's some of the the same principles of the family therapy that you're doing at Westbridge that we use here with with younger kids and and giving everyone in the family a chance to heal and to come together and to be part of the solution. And, and often if, a, if an, a grown-up goes to treatment and the children don't have an opportunity to be an integral part of the recovery process, parents come home and children still want to control their behavior and they're still fearful and anxious. And, and you know it's not the best environment for an alcoholic or an addict newly sober and clean to come back to because it's confusing for kids and and while recovery and is great there's the trauma of early recovery and you said it Mary are all of a sudden roles change and the focus of the family changes and unless it's something we can be honest and talk about and each have our own programs to go to to get support from other people who've gone through the same thing uh, boy, what a setup it could be for families to uh, unconsciously want to go back to the way it used to be, which is a very unhealthy way. But sometimes there is comfort and familiarity, even when right. it's very painful. It's extremely painful. I just was wondering, because you would mentioned about being in London and Dublin, what was it like to be in Dublin? Being in Dublin was an incredible experience for me. Uh, one side of my family, uh, my mom's side, um, completely Irish, 100% Irish, and, and I'd never been back home, and so I got to do a lecture for the general public. I was on November the 1st, and so, and my great grandparents, um, Matthew and Jane O'Brien, were born in Dublin, uh, Matthew in 1803 and Jane in 1814. So it was really like going back home and seeing uh, the huge alcoholism and, and addiction problem going on um, uh, in Ireland. And you know, as we said in a in a, in a previous segment, Mary, uh, the majority of the audience were people who were in recovery, whether they were alcoholics and addicts. Or they were family members, and, and, and maybe their parents had addiction when they were growing up. And in many ways, the response afterwards um, told me by so many people, people didn't want to leave. People didn't want to leave the, the lecture hall that night. And, and what they were saying is, you're telling my story. It's like you were living there the whole time. And that's that common story that, that is so familiar. The faces may change. The dynamics might change. But the disease is the same. And, you know, I think the other thing that we really haven't touched on is, is the uh, multi-generational trauma, whether that, that families experience. 
and it can be from natural disasters, it can be from war, it can be from, you know, potato famine, but um, that gets woven in, and, and when I think about the Irish heritage, my grandfather used to always say, he remembers when there were signs that said Irish need not apply, you know, and um, and that gets woven into our to our generations and our legacy as a family as well as the trauma that we've experienced. The trauma that we've experienced, and again, unless people are able to get help, trauma that gets re-experienced without the necessary tools to successfully cope with such trauma. So, part of what what I left Dublin and what I left Ireland with certainly a, a celebration of how far my family has come and the the trials and tribulations that they had, a greater appreciation for all of the issues and the trauma that they have been dealing with and uh, and a deeper respect and love and and just to know um, know, how far uh, my family has come and how far so many families have come in recovery. And that's exciting. That's the good news. Today we need to be shouting from rooftops. That help is there and recovery is possible. There's hope. So, so Jerry, where can children or families go if they want help? I mean, if, if somebody's listening and they say, okay, this sounds really good, where can I get some help? I would suggest right with, uh, with 12-step programs, uh, if family members want help, I would um, look in the yellow pages or Google Al-Anon Family Services to see what kind of 12-step meetings are available in the community. I'd call local alcoholism or other drug uh, addiction treatment facilities, see if they have any services for kids. I would contact the the National Association for Children of Alcoholics. I'll give a number. It's 1-888-554 and the letter C-O-A-S. Or please call us here at the Betty Ford Center at 1-800-854-9211 and we'll do our best to help um, send people to programs that are available in their community. But it's a matter of reaching out, making that first phone call, and even if it's talking to a family member or a friend or a minister, we can't be part of the solution until we take that first step and, and let people in the know then direct you to the resources that are available in your own community. That's where we begin. Um, the Betty Ford Center, uh, the only programs that they have in other locations are their children's programs, right? Mrs. Ford was really clear, and and, uh, God bless her, and I miss her so much with her passing just a few months ago. Mrs. Ford had always resisted all temptation to create a Betty Ford Center in any other place. She said only one place. We need to maintain the quality of what we do. Can't be all things to all people. Do what you do. Do it extremely well. The only exception she ever made was with our children's program just because she knew there were no other places or very few places, I should say, where kids could get help. So she has allowed us to expand our children's programs just because we couldn't find many. So when we go to a new community, we always check it out to make sure that we're not duplicating the effort. If there's services for children already there, we need to go somewhere where they're not. So, yeah, it's the only part of the center that's expanded in that regard, away from our campus in Rancho Mirage, California. Where are the locations? Um, Dallas, Fort Worth, um, right there really in Irving, just about five minutes from the airport 
and in Denver, Colorado. So because people come from all over, easy places to fly into, and, and the Denver program is right near the airport as well. So people can come in and participate for four days, um, stay in a local hotel, and really begin a transformative um, process for their children, but for their entire family. And how can people get a hold of you, Jerry, if they want to get a hold of you? Best way, two ways to get a hold of me, either by email at jmoe at bettyfordcenter.org or call me at 1-800-854-9211. I'm at extension 4103. Jerry, thank you so much for being a guest today. Um, you, you do amazing work and you're a gift to all of us. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a blessing, Mary, to get to speak with you and to be on your program and to reach out and and hopefully touch some hearts and souls and see that some families begin to get some help. Thanks, and have a great week, everybody. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion, one hour at a time. We'll see you next week.